It's good to see y'all. It seems almost like a year since I've been here, so it's good to be back. Uh, I had a good time over the month of December. I have been retired two years this month, and I have not stopped working even though I retired till December. Football was over. You guys gave me a break, and so I've been traveling. I was in southeast Texas. I went to San Antonio. went to Lubbock. Christmas with my family. I went to my 53rd high school reunion. I want to know what happened to those people. (laughs) They looked old. Elva Fredericks, who I kind of knew in high school, walked up to me at the thing. She's lived in Colorado since she graduated. She married a guy and they moved up there. I've not seen her since our graduation night. She walked up to me and said, didn't we used to look eye to eye to each other? I said, Elva, how tall are you? 5'3"? I said, yes. I was 5'4", and you were 5'3". She said, what happened to you? I said, I don't know, but I grew up after I got away from high school, I guess. Don Dean, our superstar quarterback, he quarterbacked Texas A&M. Some of you have heard of that university. Uh, he, he was talking to me. He said, Branson, you really weren't any good when you played high school football. I said, thanks, Don. You know how much I appreciate that. He said, I always prayed I wouldn't get hurt because you were the backup. And so I said, thank you. He said, but you taught us how to play football. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, you, you coached us. I said, you guys never even listened to a word I said. He said, no, we were paying attention. I said, well, I never knew it. So anyway, but it was just fun. I had not seen most of these people in 53 years. And so I will say this. You know what amazed me most about it? There was... Out of the 130, uh, we've lost one-fourth of our class that passed away. There was about 40 there, 45. Every one of them, and I didn't know this when I was in high school, but every one of them are faithful to Christ, walking with Christ today. In fact, we had a prayer meeting. They asked me to lead it at a reunion, and I got to do that. So it was quite a, quite a treat doing that. Then last Sunday, I went to my church, Sunday school, first time in a long time, and uh, raised my hand during the prayer request, and I said, I have a prayer request today. Never, don't know how to pray for this. I've never prayed for it in my entire life. Would you pray that I lose my job? <laughs> and y'all answered my prayer. So <laughs> here in a couple, three weeks, I'll be unemployed, but it looks like the Lord has blessed y'all well, and so it's been a good year, and y'all got a great staff, and so y'all got great days ahead of you. Pray that I get home, though, today. I'm not worried so much about the snow and the sleet and the ice. i got to get through the cowboy traffic. <laughs> Some of you heard they're playing today, so we'll see what happens. I hope they're playing today. We'll, we'll find out in a little bit. All right, let's get in the message today. Uh, t- we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to do a little bit of what, I don't know what all they did, but I'm going to do what I think is one of the key verses in Colossians, verses, chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, and mainly keying on verse 27. Uh, to me, it's one of the key truths of life that you and I need to know. Over the next, uh, I was informed a little bit ago, February 4th will be my last Sunday with you guys, and then your new guy will start. And uh, Mitch, I don't know where you are, Mitchell, but you, you need to get a beard. Because now I think the whole staff has a beard. It looks like you're growing one. And I always thought maybe I needed to. If I'd have started when I came, I'd be as long as yours probably by now. So Mitch, Mitchell needs to get him a beard and get caught up with this staff. Because I watched your sermon last Sunday. It was a great sermon, and I had a privilege to pay attention and follow through with that. 
But what I want to do in the last three or four weeks is this. I'm going to use this as a kickoff because I think it's a theme of life. I think this is a critical truth that every one of us need to know. Next week, I'm going to be in Luke 17, and we're going to do the days of Noah. Now, it's above my pay grade to know if we're truly entering the days of Noah, but it sure looks like it. But there have been times like this always. But my gist of what we'll do next Sunday is this. How do we live if we are in the days of Noah? And our example is going to be Noah. And we're going to look in detail at everything the Old Testament, New Testament says about Noah because he lived in one of the worst days ever, and yet he stayed faithful. So we'll do that. And then in the next week, we'll look at Philippians 3, 7 through 14. And when we go to that, we're going to deal with the theme of what Paul, I've always been fascinated by this, but in verse 10, he's going to say this, I just want to know him. I just want to know him. He's talking about Jesus. I always find that fascinating because Paul was about 60 years of age when he wrote that. He'd already been in ministry for a good 20, 25, maybe 30 years. Here's a man who wrote most of the New Testament, went to the third heavens, and yet his passion and drive at the age of 60 was still to know more about Jesus, that he truly wanted to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. And so my challenge is going to be as we enter 2024 that we don't lose that passion. This is going to be a crazy year. This may be one of the craziest years we've ever experienced in America. How are we going to walk? And our passage today and what we look at Noah and then when we look at Paul's desire is what we ought to be doing every single day. And then the last Sunday I'll be here, I'm going to preach my favorite sermon of all time, Philippians 4, 4 through 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So if you'll stand with me, let's get into our passage today. You follow along, I'm going to read verses 24 through 27, knowing that when we get to the end of 27, that's our key. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Of this church I was made a minister according to stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word. That is, the mystery that's been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what the riches of his glory in this mystery among the Gentiles is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, be with us today as we look at this. Help us to grasp and understand three simple truths found in this last phrase of the verse. Help us to make certain it's a part of who we are as we live our lives each day. May it give us the kind of confidence that will help us live fully as we hit, go into 2024. Watch over and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My grandkids, I don't know what got them to do it, they're in high school, the ones I'm talking about, the three that are in high school, have been getting on to me that I need to still be more on the contemporary cutting edge of all that's going on, and they keep telling me I need to listen to Jordan Peterson. So I've started doing that during the month of December, and it's been fascinating. Uh, Jordan is not a follower of Christ, but he's not far from it. He's pretty close. It's almost like, I think, Festus in Book of Acts. I've almost been persuaded. But the other day I was listening to it because one of his things that he was going to do that's my phone, don't answer it. It's probably a wrong number, so if y'all hear that there. It's Walgreens, my prescription is ready. <laughs> now, where was I at? 
anyway, they had a, he had a guest on, and I like these kind of interviews because they're famous people who've done amazing things or interesting things in life. And he was interviewing Jack Barsky, an ex-KGB agent. Now, I grew up during the Cold War and the, with Russia and everything else. I was fascinated to hear what an ex-KGB agent had to say in light of all that's going on today. But as I got into listening to this, Jordan Peterson would ask him questions to get into talking. Uh, this guy was raised atheist. He was a communist. He bought into Marxism and Leninism very deeply in all that he did. And, and to be raised in Russia is a very difficult life. But as I began to listen to him, he got into a spot one time where he talked about the, the, the evilness of man's heart and the depravity of it. And as I was listening, I'm going, <clears throat> that's fascinating insight coming from this man. But I guess just the hardness of life is why he has gotten to this point that he views life that way. But as the interview began to proceed, it was about an hour and a half, two hours long. It was a long interview, and I listened to the whole thing. About halfway through, I said, this guy's he, he's got to be close to knowing who Jesus is. But when he got to the end of the interview, he gave the greatest testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ I have ever heard. That's why he walked away from it all. He had a young girl that gave him a Bible when he was in his 20s or 30s. And he says, you hate our religion, but you don't even know what's in the book. It's the best-selling book of all time, the most read book of all time. Read it, and then make up your mind. And he did. And he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and is a very committed follower of Christ to this day, and gave God the glory. Well, what changed him? This verse, 27. It's what impacted every single one of us in this room. So let's start with what it says first. Christ. The focal point of everything that you and I are going to do is focused on one person. Do not lose that fact that all through our lives here as we enter 2024, whatever may happen hereafter, is that you and I will stay focused on Jesus Christ. Now, when the word Christ there is a reference to the Old Testament to the word Messiah, the anointed one of God is Christos in the Greek. He is bringing a point to them that the Messiah that had been promised to the Jews and to the Greeks, was fulfilled completely and totally in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he doing this? Why is he pointing this direction? Well, I think the greatest description, and you guys should have picked that up this weekend through your study, the greatest description of who Jesus is is found in Colossians, the first chapter. Because when you get to verse 14, really 13, all the way through 19, you're given some amazing truths. Let's just walk through them very quickly. In verse 14, it's only in Christ that we have forgiveness. Now, you and I, if we live long enough, know the importance of forgiveness. Life has such a way of hitting every one of us that forgiveness can be a very difficult thing. But when you and I have got to the point that we have fully grasped and understand who we were outside of Christ and how much God has forgiven us, that's one thing I found about Barsky's testimony. He lived a very ungodly, unrighteous life as a KGB agent. For him, he said, forgiveness was one of the greatest things that ever happened in his life. And with his forgiveness, he was later able to forgive all that others had done to him in his life in Russia or here in his life in America now. Forgiveness is critical, and Jesus is the only one who can deal with that issue. He's the only one who can provide a solution to that, and most of us in this room know that. We have come to experience that, but he's the one who does. That's why we focus on him. Verse 15, he's the only one who reveals the Father in heaven, you know. You and I cannot see God. He is invisible. We, cannot, we can look up into the skies. We can look around us, and we see evidence of him, his power, 
the wisdom of creation, the heavens of his glory, but we do not see him. The way we can know God is through Christ. He completely and totally reveals him. He is the image of the Father. And if you want to know the creator of the universe, you look straight towards Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says he's the firstborn of creation. Now that's not referring to being created, but to his position that he has in creation. The firstborn always gets all the honor. Everything comes his way. He has been given that because of who he is. In verse 16, he is the creator. Jesus Christ created all things. The Father created through him all that you and I see. You may not fully grasp nor understand all that's involved in that, but he did. Maybe Jesus is a spoken word when the Father said, let there be light. But he is a creator. Everything was created through him, and it was created for him. You and I get to be, are part of that amazing creation. And one day when he comes in all of his glory, we'll see creation in its full glory. And we'll get to be a part of that. But we look to him as creator. And looking to God as creator through Christ Jesus, one of the great truths through the Old Testament that will strengthen you in all that you do. Verse 17, you and I ought to hold on to is a great truth. He holds all things together. This world looks like it's in a total zoo right now. I mean, I've lived 71 years. This is just a different thing than I've ever seen. I went through the 60s. It was bad in the 60s with Vietnam and the assassinations that took place and the riots within our streets. But there's just something everywhere I go, people I talk with, whether it's in West Texas, Southeast Texas, with kids that I grew up with, we were all talking about the same thing, something just not right. And it could almost scare you to death presidential elections coming up, two men running for office that make me look like a teenager at this particular point. I'm serious. We don't have any idea what's about to unfold, but I do know one thing. I know who holds this place together, and it is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't let history of what's happening now shake you. I, would like, I haven't seen the movie Oppenheimer, but there was a, I found out there was something said at the very end. And at the end, Einstein said to Oppenheimer, have you learned that the people who've been bringing you in really don't care about you? They're just using you to get what they need for the power that they're going to need. This world's corrupt. I've seen it. I've been involved enough in it along the way. So I'm so grateful. I am so thankful that I get to know that he holds this place together. Because if he didn't, it would fall apart. It wouldn't take much for this whole thing to collapse. Jesus Christ holds everything together. In verse 18, he's the head of the church. We're his body. It's, it, this isn't about any of us. It never has been about us. It has to be about him. He's the head that directs every one of us. Each one of us are a part of the body. You might be the hand, the foot. I guess I'm the mouth. I don't know at that point. But we do. We all have different little parts. But there, none of us are big deals. In a sense, we are a big deal because he showed grace to us and adopted us as part of his family. But we're all the same. One of the greatest qualities, and this is what uh, the, the Russian KGB agent said. He said, there's no humility in the world. Nobody cares about anybody. Well, that's not totally true because when you come to know who Jesus is, it brings a humility to you, and suddenly everybody around you becomes more important than yourself. Philippians 2, verses 3 through about 11 or 12. 
We have the mind of Christ. Humility becomes critical. But humility means we're all important together, but we all look to the one who's in charge of all that's going on. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he is the firstborn from the dead. That means resurrection. And in verse 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, In Christ all will be made alive. One of my good friends, Dan Curry, we pastor together in the panhandle. We're the same age. Uh, I think he's a year older than me. His wife is two years younger than me. Um, He pastored in Arlington for 30 years. I think it was South Oak Baptist Church. Uh, We did doctorate together. So we went from West Texas. I went to San Antonio. He went to the Arlington area. He pastored about as long there as I did at Village Parkway. We would see each other ever so often, but he's in the BGCT convention and I'm in the SBT convention, but we still cross paths all the time. And we've kept in touch all the time. And Wednesday, I got stunned. I mean, I was stunned. Facebook post. His wife passed away Wednesday. She got sick last Sunday. Never been sick. Sunday wasn't feeling good. Monday worse. Tuesday a little bit bad. Wednesday not good at all. He rushed her to the hospital and they lost her just as they started to work on her. He was crushed. They were going strong. They were enjoying life. They were enjoying life to the fullest. He's doing interim pastors like I've been doing with you guys. He's done a great job. He's He's just finished one and was doing a different church every Sunday, filling in it for the BCT for churches that need uh, somebody to preach for a Sunday. And now, today, this Sunday, for the first time, in almost 50 years, she's not standing by his side. That's enough to break you. But if you read his Facebook post, there's nothing but joy in the midst of grief because he knows what? He will see her again. It's not wishful thinking. Jesus has made that promise to us. Because he was raised, we one day will be raised too. And I don't know about you, but I look forward to that. On that day, I will see my mom and dad again. I will see Billy Tom, my dad's brother. First funeral I ever did many, many years ago was Billy Tom. Severely handicapped his entire life. Should have never lived past five or six, made it to 46 years. He's the one I said in a sermon a long time ago here that he had a dream one night, and you couldn't have understood anything he said, but I was sitting there at the table with him. He said, Teeb, that was my name, Teeb. Teeb, I had a dream last night. I said, Bill, what was your dream? I dreamed I was in heaven and I could walk. Grandma started crying because he had never walked. He couldn't hardly talk. His hands didn't work. You know what? On that day, I'm going to look him in the eye and say, what's it like walking? You might think I'm a little bit crazy, but I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so I look to him because he's the only one who can give me hope past the grave. He's the only one who gives me hope for the loved ones who went on before me. I want to see the great saints that I, I have known throughout my 45 years of ministry and throughout all the churches I've ever served. I found out one of the guys at Shallow Water, one of the key guys, just passed away the other day. He was 99. I will see him again. 
I want to see Ornish Green. I want to see Tommy Downs. I want to see uh, Bill Verdon. I can name name after name of great men and, other, and ladies. I want to see some of the ladies that I know. I will see them again. Why? Because he's the firstborn from the dead. We too will be raised. And then lastly, verse 19, God made all out of his good pleasure all the fullness of deity to be right in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm here today to tell you Paul's telling us Christ in verse 27 because that's the only hope you and I have. Apart from him, there is no hope. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He is alive and he's at work today. He's the one who reconciled us to the Father. Paul is excited that he's even willing to suffer for all that they may come to know and understand that truth. That's why he told the church at Corinth, a very corrupt place, the church was very weak. He looked at them and said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with great power and wisdom and the speaking abilities. I just presented the simple truth because I wanted your faith not to rest on me. I wanted your faith to rest on who Christ Jesus is. Once you've come to know him, it's going to be the most important thing that ever happened in your life, which leads to the second point. Look at verse 27. Christ in you. You know what that means? He's always with us. Always with us. There's a promise given in the book of Hebrews. In the the 13th chapter. And it's a reference to money. It tells us that we're not to have a love of money. We're to be content. We're to be sufficient. We should just know we're taken care of. Everything's going to be okay. And so the question becomes, how do you get there? Always, Paul said he'd learned that secret in the letter to the Philippians. But how do we get to the point of contentment where we're not being driven by these other passions? Well, Hebrews 13, 6 says, The Lord is my helper, I'll not be afraid. What can man do to me? He began to touch that he's with us. He's our helper. That's why you and I can live life and not be afraid or be overwhelmed by other desires. But the critical truth is this. Why he can help us is he is in us. Galatians says what? 2.20. Good verse to memorize if you haven't learned this yet. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith. I live by faith. I trust it's true. I hope you do. Paul did. I've come to realize that's the key. Trusting the one who lives in you. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. You and I have been given the most amazing promise, Christ in us. Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17 just before he went to the cross. He says, I am in them, the disciples, And Father, you're in me that we may be perfected together in unity. God has been at work bringing a people together. You and I are a part of it. Christ lives in you. He lives in me. Now, what does that mean? You're never alone. In the darkest of moments, the presence of God is always with you. You say, well, it doesn't feel like it. Life is not about feelings. You learn that, you'll learn a lot about life. It's not about feelings, it's about truth. And if Jesus is with me, it's okay. It may hurt, it may be difficult, it may be painful, it may be a touch lonely, but I'm going to get through it. I'm going to still be standing when it's all said and done. 
One of my secretaries in San Antonio has been at our house this weekend visiting with Jan. They were good friends, and so she came up, and I had to take a bunch of ladies to a, a, a country western concert. Uh, so I got them in their table and went and sat over in the corner and read a novel while the country western concert was going on and stuff. But we, we were in a conversation about, about life and the difficulties of it and what we've been through. And we, were, we reminisced over some of the things at Village and some of the difficulties that people went through. But you know one thing we learned through all of that, and we even talked about this weekend, is that Romans 8.28 really is true. It's not just a statement. And when you do Romans 8.28, it's also in the midst of suffering. Sometimes she says you don't know how to, you just don't know what to pray, but the Spirit of God's interceding on your behalf. Talks about the groaning that comes from the difficulties of life. But all of a sudden it jumps out and says this For we know, we know deep down within our hearts, perfect tense, we know, we always know. God causes all things to work together for good. The most difficult of situations, most painful of situations, most disastrous situation he makes for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're even told thereafter in Romans 8, 29 that he is predestined to conform every one of us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been his plan from the very beginning. And he uses suffering sometimes to get us to where we need to be. But then we're told a little bit later in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not the worst circumstances, not the most powerful things in the world, not those that go all the way up to the ceiling or all the way down to the bottom or way out to the side. Nothing out there can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Why? Christ in me. Christ lives in me. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. It's going to end well, which leads to my last point this morning. We're promised a good ending to our story. I sat down in front of my TV a couple weeks ago to watch my Texas Longhorns beat Washington. It didn't happen. I texted my friends around the state and said, well, we had a good year. But it, this is six minutes left in the game. We had a good year, but it's over. We're behind by two touchdowns. We can't do anything. And then suddenly the game began to change. It began to change. And then suddenly I'm texting my friends and said, forget what I just wrote. This is going to be a good year. In fact, I texted one of them and said, this is the thing that legends are made of. We are coming back. And when we got the ball with one second left on the goal line, had one more play, I was sitting there thinking, this is amazing. I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. And then they dropped the ball. <laughs> that doesn't happen when it comes to things of Christ. We're not going to be disappointed in the end. It's not going to catch us off guard. It ends well. How do I know that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word hope means certainty in the Greek. But the question I ask today is, what's glory? What is glory? That's hard to explain. 
I have not seen the Shekinah glory like they would have seen at the temple or at the tabernacle. 1 Corinthians tells me things which I has not seen nor ear heard or which has been entered the heart of man, all that God's prepared for him. I don't think in my wildest imagination I even come close to what it could be. I wish I had the words to be able to describe what glory is, but I am reminded of 1 John 3, 2. says, Beloved, we are children of God. It's not yet appeared what we will be, but we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. I think glory looks a little bit like Revelations 1 when Jesus was with John. But whatever it is, it's going to be amazing. And if I am as he is, then spiritually... Mentally, physically, it's okay. And those of you who are my age and older know that to get back to our 20-year-old bodies would be amazing. But it'll never happen. But it will then. I pulled a stunt the other day on Wednesday. I'm teaching at Cross Church. We were going to, Jam was going to choir and I was going to teach I'm teaching the book of Ephesians for the church, and so I was trying to get there a little early. And there's a stoplight as you turn into the street where the church is. And I pulled up. There were three cars in front of me. My daughter and all the grandkids are behind me. I pull up, and then I make a left turn and go in this lane because for a turn lane. There was no turn lane, just oncoming traffic. What was embarrassing was my grandkids were in the back watching Pops look like a fool. And I got out and they go, you're getting old. You're not thinking clearly. I think you're losing it. No, Pops, well, I didn't lose it. I'll do whatever excuse I can. But uh, to be honest, they're a little right. But that's okay. I know how this ends. Though my life may get more difficult the older I become, one day I'm going to walk in his presence. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So here's my challenge to all of us today as simply as this. This verse is pretty amazing if you think about it. Jesus, the one who created the world, the one who gave us the life we now live, paid the price for your forgiveness, was raised from the dead so you too will be raised, is in charge of all that goes on within the setting of the church, and we all look to him here at Ridgecrest as the one who leads and guides all that we do, the one who holds this whole world together, though it may be a mess, the one who's King of kings and Lord of lords, knows me and lives in me. And I am his adopted brother. I am a part of his family. And all that he's heir to, I am heir to also. And the promise is, though we may not see it now, nor fully grasp or understand it, we will one day behold his glory, and we will have that glory for us. I don't know about you, but that's a good way to start 2024. Simple truths, great reminders of who we are. And if we grasp and understand that really well, then we'll do as the psalmist says, be strong, let your heart have courage, all you who hope in the Lord. And it's Psalms 31, 24. Be strong, and you can be. I have a lady from Village who 
emails me almost every day. She's had one of the worst lives ever. And I occasionally will respond back, but she always will say, thank Miss Jan and you for listening to my emails. And sometimes she says, Pastor, my life has been so hard. I just pray God takes me home. She's only about 50, but she's had about as tough a life as I've ever known. But she shows up church every Sunday morning. She worships every Sunday morning. I was her pastor for ever since she's been a kid. And she's now in mid-50s and everything. She just keeps doing it. But she said to me the other day on an email, and I responded to this one, I don't have any hope in this world, but I have hope in him. That's really what it's about. So today, if you're having the most difficult of life entering 2024, you look to the one who will give you the strength to get through it. And she, I keep reminding her, just keep hanging in there. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. You take one step at a time. You be strong in the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, your Lord. And if you do that, then what that does is your courage builds and your hope gets stronger. Whatever was going on at Colossae, and y'all should have learned the difficulties of what Colossae were walking through this, this week. Paul said the answer to all that y'all been dealing with as a church is found in Christ. And if you will trust in him, then it'll be all right. And then he challenged them in chapter 3. You're in a new life now. Live it. Live it to the fullest. I don't know about you, but think back where you could have been, but where he's now brought you. And look at all that he's brought you through and how you've hung in there and stayed faithful. For those who are a little bit younger and a little bit older than me, we ought to wake up every morning. The first thing we go is, thank you for how you've brought me to this point. Thank you for how you've watched over and taken care of me. And I close with this. My 53rd high school reunion, that's what we had a, a little praise time about, is how God has watched over all of us. It's amazing a high school class would do that because we didn't seem like a very religious group of people when I was in high school and stuff. But somehow, someway, the grace of God has brought us all together because we found something in common. Jesus Christ, in me, the hope of glory. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And we truly have been blessed. You've opened our heart and eyes to be able to see and to fully understand who Jesus is. But I do pray for those here today who haven't fully grasped nor understand that yet, that, Father, you would work within their heart and minds and that, Lord, you would open their eyes to fully see Jesus Christ as Paul revealed him in Colossians. King of kings, Lord of lords, creator, the one who holds all things together, the head of the church, the firstborn from the resurrection, the fullness of all deity dwelling within him. And that, Father, in seeing that, they will come to grasp and understand his presence within their life by faith, come by faith, the presence in his life will give them the kind of hope they need to fully live their lives each day. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.